Again, my, uh, my name is John. I'm the associate pastor here, one of them, uh, student ministries pastor. Deal with the youth and children, both. Um, this morning, my sermon is called Living Dead versus Dead Living. Uh, children, yeah, you can be dismissed. <clears throat> You know, growing up, I always, uh, <clears throat> I always played a lot of, like, you know, you go in the backyard, you grab a stick, you think it's a gun, and so you become this, this soldier, you know? You ever, ever, anyone ever play uh, soldiers or army or whatever? You know, someone was, you'd always be hiding around the garage corner, you know, trying to snipe people with your stick, and, you know, you just tried to, you know, it's weird because as an adult, I mean, if I even thought of doing that, that just looks, sounds like a lot of hard work of running around, sweating, and just being miserable. But as a kid, you really do. I mean, you're living it. It's like you can, you can actually see the bullet go in slow motion by you, and you're dodging it, and you know, you're tossing grenades, and you, know, you feel like you're, you're, you're a part of it. Um, one of the branches in the Army that I've always been fascinated are is the, the, the Rangers, the, the elite of the elite. They are the... They, they're the, they have the strictest training, uh, the highest demand. They, they're the best tactics. They never mess up. They never lose a mission. They're trained professionally to always get the job done. You know, I was talking, I have a, I have a friend uh, was going into SEAL training, uh, ended up, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't continue his training because uh, he fell off a bridge and landed on his back and broke it. And uh, it was just a disaster, but he wanted to make a career out of it. And he said, I mean, he worked alongside of them, but he said that they, um, the, the rangers are some of the most trained individuals on the planet. They can clear a house in just a few seconds. They can do extraordinary things because of a lot of study, a lot of practice, a lot of routine. But they have, they, they've, they've given their lives uh, to protect us and, and to and to, to get the job done. You know, if a comparison can be made between the military and re- religion, it's kind of hard because obviously, you know, we're, we, even just talking about the military kind of gets you, almost, it gives you that brave heart kind of a feel. You're like, man, I'm, I can do anything right now. I, man, I, I can do that too. You know, you have that mentality. But if, if we could make a comparison between the two, um, the Rangers being the best on the planet tactically, uh, you know, the, the most trained unit, if you will, in the Old Testament would by far hands down be the Pharisees. Uh, Pharisees really get a bad rap. I mean, you, 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 in the New Testament, you hear about how often Jesus like, you know, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, but, but really, the Pharisees were incredibly trained. You know, we think, we spend time in the Word, we think that, you know, I... Man, I, I read my Bible one hour of the day, you know. I, I, you know, I spend time in prayer. Um, these guys memorized books of the Bible before they were teenagers. Uh, these guys spent numerous days, hours, months seeking God's direction for the nation because they know, you know, it's, it all depends on them. Um, and not only that, they had to practice extreme holiness. You know, in our culture, we, we ask a lot of questions like, is doing this wrong? That would never be a question in their mind. They're, they're thinking the opposite. What can I throw off more to become more holy, to become more like God, to, be, to live more towards the law? And so, uh, and so with that being said, let me, let me just say, God's plan for this Jewish nation, the Israelites, was to have a real relationship with them. Not to be fake, but to actually... It, w- it was supposed to be real, it was supposed to be intentional, and it was supposed to be separate from the other, from the other countries of the world because, because God was using Israel to make them, to be, to be an example, to be these guys, you look to these guys, you can see me, okay? That's why, that's why he, they're his, his uh, chosen people. They're the, the people of the Israel. God wanted to make them uh, images of who he was. Fortunately, as time went on, this, 
the sincere faith of seeking God, pursuing God, it became just religious traditions. Just became, you know, it's just something they, they, they have to get done. They have to spend, they have to get that, those five books of the Bible memorized before they turn teenagers. They gotta do religious traditions eventually became the priority and the relationship with God died and they became dead on the inside. Before it was supposed to be real, but now it was just, it's just, it was, just became traditions, it just became work. Living dead, just get this, explain this right now, living dead versus dead living. Living dead is becoming more dead to sin, but you can't stop there, and more alive to Christ. Okay, that's how you live dead. Jesus said, you know, pick up your cross, follow me. He wasn't saying, pick up the nice flowery wrapped cross over there and follow me, chase me through town. That's not what he meant. He says, pick up your electric chair, pick up that dagger, pick up something to kill your flesh and follow me. Follow me, okay? So he says, he, um, living dead is becoming more dead to sin and more alive to Christ. Dead living, dead living is trying to look righteous without Christ. So let me give you a little bit more historical background to like who the Pharisees were and then how we come into the passage where we're gonna start today. See, God allowed the nation of Israel, he disciplined the nation because he loved the nation. If God didn't love the nation, he would just kind of let them do whatever they wanted. But he disciplined them by allowing different enemy countries to come in and take them into captivity, hoping that while they're there, they would, they would sense this, this need of God. God, we realize we're, we are where we're at because of sin. So he allowed them to go into to captivity, um, specifically for, in Babylon for 70 years, because they constantly just kept this routine. And during the exile, while they were in captivity, oftentimes they formed little schools called synagogues where they would, they would spend considerable amounts of time studying and praying together. And eventually, as time went on further, um, the Persians came in and overtook the Babylonians. And once the Persians came in, they, um, they, they decided to let the Jews go free. But they just said, you know what, we don't want your kings reestablished, okay, none of this King David, Solomon. No, we're, we're in charge here, but you can go back, you can continue the temple, you can continue all that, but just so you know, okay, we're in charge. So Jewish life continued, culture just continued as normal. But as time, as, as time went on, the nation, um, you know, nation, defeated nation, um, but the Pharisees, um, because there was no king, the Pharisees kind of became the leaders of the community. They were the ones who upheld the law, if you will. Since there's no king to give justice, the Pharisees oftentimes were the religious, the Judean leaders, they oftentimes said, you're innocent, you're guilty, you've broken the law, you haven't broken the, the law, whatever. And so, um, as, so nation is, is, are just defeating nation, and for the most part, uh, the Jews can still practice um, sacrifices, they can still practice, you know, there's a few times where they, they stop and then restart, but they're, they're, they still have their culture, they're still practicing these traditions, okay? And this leads right into our story. Rome now is the dominating world power of when Jesus was on the planet. And, some, I, and then, why don't you guys just turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. That's where we're gonna start. Some of major events, just to get you caught up with the story that have already happened in Jesus' life, is that he's already started his public ministry. He's chosen, he's handpicked his 12 disciples who's gonna learn under him. He's miraculous, miraculously fed 5,000 um, people with only five loaves and two fish. Um, and not only that, he's healed people uh, too, up to this point. My first point, I think where we're going here is God, God wants, he wants to, he calls us to show humility. And I'm gonna break that down for you. So in, in Matthew chapter 15, verse one, it says, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. 
The hand washing in the New Testament is a tradition that the elders started during the exile while they were back in captivity. Um, it, it was just simply, they, they started, it, it comes from the original law all the way back in, uh, I think it's Deuteronomy, Leviticus. Um, the original law where Aaron, the high priest, and his sons were supposed to hand wash, they, they had to hand wash, and then they had actually had to wash their feet too. God says, if you don't do these things, you will die. And so that was a very, I mean, anytime you went to the temple, the high priest and his sons always had to do those things. Otherwise, they, they were looked at as um, filthy before God. God said, you have to be pure. And that was just a ritual they did. And so during the exile, when there was no temple, they didn't want to lose traditions. They didn't want to lose all of these things. So they said, well, let's just, let's make hand washing part of uh, what we do. And so for hundreds of years, the Pharisees, okay, they've been doing all these things strictly to the book. And so they've been kind of setting themselves apart as more of the elite, God's elite. And, afford, you know, and, and when we do that, it leads to pride. They'd been comparing their righteousness to the others in the Jewish community. And the problem every single time with self-righteousness is that it often causes us to be blind to our own faults. Jesus here, he uses the law, he just holds, they study it day and night, but he holds it up to their face as a mirror. He shows them, uh, he opens the Pharisees' eyes, if you will, spiritually, to see themselves for who they really were. And so in uh, verse three, Jesus replied to their, to their questions about not hand washing. He says, why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give this to God, what I would have given to you. In this way, you say, they don't need to honor the parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your traditions. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is farce. They teach man-made ideas as God, as commands from God. So specifically this issue, um, the elderly people, when they came to the, the, the temple to, and they needed financial support, the Pharisees were, was, were telling the Jewish community, it's all right if you don't support your, your, um, your parents or the elderly as long as you say that that money was dedicated towards God. Um, and, so, and so God, Jesus, or back in the Old Testament, God says, honor your parents. And they're saying, well, you can honor them up to a point, but when, you know, if that money is, or if you've already claimed it for God, you don't have to pay them back. And see, this is, an, this is a perfect example of dead living. They looked for righteous deeds to make them right before God. They, they were doing righteous things, but on the inward, they were dead. They were, they were pure in their own eyes, but they were filthy in God's. That's what self-righteousness does. It makes us blind to what we look like when we're looking out to see, oh, you, 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 I'm better than you guys, um, but you, you, and you, I'm just trying to get to where you're at. Okay, it's, it's, it's a false idea, and we've got to be careful with it. Proverbs 30, 11 through 12 says, some people curse their father and do not thank their mother. They are pure in their own eyes, but they are filthy and unwashed. The world says, do enough good and God will overlook your sin. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. See, no righteous deed that we can do uh, can make us actually righteous before God. So the greatest deed you can do, say, say you could go back before the Holocaust and you, you said, I'm gonna die for all the Jewish people and I'm gonna lay my life down. Um, the greatest deed you can do, uh, righteous deed you can do apart from Christ will never make you righteous before God. And the Pharisees were constantly self-righteous. They were quick to, to criticize others. I mean, it's a hand washing 
It's not even a law. It's a, it's a tradition. And, it may, and, it, and, and the whole reason why they were doing this is to make themselves kind of, I'm, you know, I'm more elite. They're, they're not. They need to get with it. Jesus calls us to live dead. He calls us to humility. Self-righteousness is when we do righteous deeds only as a way to look better than our neighbor. That's what self-righteousness is. Self-righteousness is when we do righteous deeds only as a way to look better than our neighbor. True humility is when we look inward and we, and we, and, and we say, Jesus, I recognize you're the only one who can make me righteous. All, all my deeds are just filthy rags, but only you can actually make, make what I do worth it. Make me righteous before you. See, humility is more of like an attitude. It's an all-in obedience to God. What are the steps that I can do to grow in a deeper relationship with Jesus? So he's, um, something to think about, you know, we sing, we sing to this, this Jesus and sometimes we, we bring him down to our level and, and he's our friend and he's our, our lover, he's our brother, he's our, you know, we, we just kind of make, we kind of bring him down to our level but the reality of it is, is he's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Every moment of the day, millions of angels don't know how to stop singing to him. They don't know how to stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's, that's who we're talking about. And yet in Philippians 2.8, let's, let's see what it says. And being, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross, even the death of a criminal is what that's saying. And Jesus didn't compare himself to others. He didn't, he didn't look at himself and say, I'm doing better, I'm doing better. You're... Jesus humbled himself. If, if he's the king of kings, if, if everyone sings to him, uh, how can we not learn to be humble ourselves? If he can humble himself and die a criminal's death innocent, how, how can we justify um, pride and how can we justify self-righteousness in our own life? So are you thankful this morning that Christ humbled himself? I am. I'm very thankful. God desperately wants us to grow in a relationship with him. It begins with humility. Because you talk to 95% of the people on the street and you ask them, you know, do you believe in God? No. Do you believe in heaven? No. Let's just say there is a heaven. Let's just say there is a God. Okay. You know, do you, do you, do you think that you know, when you die, you'll go to heaven. Well, as long as I do enough good. You know, I'm a pretty good person. I hear that a lot. Uh, the first step in a relationship with Jesus is humility. That's where it begins. Because you have to stop and you have to say, wow, I'm utterly helpless. I'm utterly sinful. And I have no, I have no plan B. It's, plan A is make it to heaven and plan B is, is not. Plan B is, is spend eternity away from a, a relationship with Jesus. So it begins with humility, but more practically towards us, even some of us have found Christ, some of us are still seeking. But when someone rebukes you, you know, how do you respond? You know, are you, are you quick to snap back? You know, when I was living in sin, my parents would rebuke me, and I, I just remember never giving them a, a just, you know, very quick to snap back, never giving them grace, never, because, because, Oftentimes they were right and I was living in sin. I was trying to justify my sin and I just remember being so cold to any rebuke in my life, any correction, any discipline in my life. You know, when you look to others, you know, how do you, how do you honor your wife? How do you honor your husband, your family members? What are you doing to take the time to basically this idea of Instead of honoring myself, we're a culture you know, where everyone says, you know, rise to the top. That's a valued virtue. Just get to the top. And how do we take our time to lay down our lives, lay down our preferences for others? Sometimes the hardest people to do that for, not our friends and family, but it's our enemies. 
But that's sometimes the, the people that Jesus wants us to be, to show humility towards most. Sometimes that's all it will take is just a humble conversation for that person to open up and begin to share him or herself with you. Before we accepted Christ, everything we did was considered filthy rags, but now Christ makes our efforts pleasing and acceptable to God. I mean, think about it. When you give in the offering, there, there are people that sit in church that don't know Christ. They give in the offering. God looks at that and he says, filthy rags. There are people that come to prayer meeting and they don't know Jesus. Filthy rags. There are people that pray and heal others. In Jesus' name, God says, filthy rags. But when we come to know Christ, how can God take that same action and say, that, I'm, I'm gonna accept that. That's pleasing to me. How, how does that happen? Because he sees us completely different. We're a son, we've become a daughter, we've humbled ourselves, and he has shown us mercy. He, sh- he should have shown us, I mean, if, if there was anyone that could compare themselves to us and, and, and accuse us, it would be Jesus. But instead, he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. So that leads me right into my second point. God calls us to show mercy. Step number one, we gotta, we gotta stop at, at the foothold, at the foot of, of humility, then we have to move on to mercy. I'll give you kind of a hypothetical story here. Just kind of stay with me. JJ and Becky, everyone loves them. They're a couple that you know, they're married. Super nice people. JJ and Becky, tons of friends, guy friends, girlfriends, love board games. Everyone loves to be around this couple. Well, Becky has to go out on a trip because of business, work, whatever. She's on a trip, long, long trip. JJ gets a little bored. He, he's kind of in, a, you know, in the mood to play Catan or Monopoly. And so he invites one of, one of um, Becky's friends over, Kate. Like, hey, you know, super close family friends. Why don't you just come over? We can play a little board games. Well, a little bit too much friendliness goes on, a little bit too much flirting goes on that night, and they fall into temptation. Next morning, you're walking, walking by JJ's house. You notice Kate leaving the house. You look over there and you're just kind of like, okay, how do you feel? I mean, in all honesty, I mean, I'm not looking for a, a I, I don't have an answer here. I'm just, just asking, like, what, how do you feel when you see that? Let's turn to John chapter eight. John chapter eight. Verse three through six, it says, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now imagine, okay, this is, this is, times are different. Imagine if in the United States they posted a law, dead serious law, if you commit adultery, we're gonna look at you the same way that we look at murderers. Uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever committed adultery, you will die. You will inherit death. Uh, no questions asked because you've broken the law. This is the exact culture that this woman has just found herself in, okay? So there is no hope for her at this point. She is completely, I mean, if you could put yourself in her shoes, you know, oh, well, you know, being in jail won't be that bad for, you know, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years. Oh, I gotta die today. And not only that, the Pharisees knew the law well. They quickly referenced Leviticus 20.10 where it says, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. So legally here, speaking, the Pharisees were actually right in judging her like this. You know, and not only that, I mean, they have, you have the, the Pharisees, you know, pointing at her, the, the re- people that held, upheld the law, you're guilty. Not only that, the law condemns her because the law is right. It, it, we just read it. If you've ever committed adultery, you deserve death. And now Jesus is in a pickle here. Or is he? They kept demanding an answer. Verse seven. So he stood up again and said, all right, all right, uh, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. 
Unfortunately for the woman, Jesus absolutely loves justice. Absolutely loves it. So let's read the heart of the Lord uh, in regard to justice. Psalms 9, 7 and 8. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the people with equity. In other words, with complete fairness. There is no, like, you could be the richest man in the world, you could be the, a beggar. I'm going, I will give perfect justice 10 out of 10 times. When I was a teenager, I, I went over to my youth pastor's house. Just kind of plug your ears for this, guys. Went over to my youth pastor's house, and uh, we were crazy. We were just nuts, teenagers. We would go over there, start fires in his garden. We would just do, I mean, it was dumb. It was just plain stupid. But we went over to my youth pastor's house, and something on a lighter note, we uh, decided we're going to TP his house. Uh, just, you know, light, fun, whatever. The entire time I'm there, I'm, like, dealing with deep uh, my conscience is just completely like, don't do this, don't do this. I've all, I was always that guy uh, in youth group. Uh, people hated taking me along on pranks because I was always the voice of reason. I was always like, guys, I really, I just, I don't think we should be doing this. And so, I, I mean, the, the thrill though was amazing. I mean, I love the feeling of like, well, we shouldn't be doing this, but you know, but my conscience was really, it was just guilt-ridden. I mean, it was like the whole way through it, we're like, okay, toilet paper, I go home that night and I'm just miserable. I'm like, oh my goodness, I gotta deal with this. And so I, I decided, you know what? I'm gonna go over tomorrow morning before he's up, before my friends are up, and I'm gonna go clean it up. Cause then you know it'll take care of it. And so I felt guilty <laughs> because I put pieces of paper on a house. Okay, whatever, that's just dumb. Uh, to finish that story, I guess, <laughs> wasn't in my notes. Um, he never found out cause he wasn't even home. Um, my, my parents thought I was nuts after they found out I cleaned it up, and so I just ended up looking like a fool. So it's better not to TP your youth pastor's house. <clears throat> so my conscience was bothered simply because I threw pieces of paper over a house, but can you imagine the conscience of this woman who, had, who was, I mean, the guilt that she must have felt as she's, as she's there before Jesus waiting a sentence, uh, and obviously it was gonna be guilty. Jesus loves justice. We've already established that. Verse 10, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I go and sin no more. Wait a minute. If God loves justice, why did she go free? I mean, does God ever contradict his nature? Ever? He never does. So here it appears that way. I think the, the reason why he extended mercy to her is obviously Jesus, Jesus knows everything. God always extends mercy to those who are willing to repent. Always. Hitler at any point could have just said, man, I'm really just screwing up here. I, I need to repent. You know, maybe he did. On the other side, I doubt it. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. So what, what, what we're doing in life oftentimes reveals who's on the inside. Works of Satan or the works of Jesus. See, the, reason, the reason why God let her go free is the same reason why he lets us go free every day. See, we're completely guilty as charged. Completely, constantly. But those who put their faith in Christ, he extends mercy. Even though we absolutely deserve justice. And let me just say, this isn't my notes either. There's coming a day where Jesus will judge everyone. Uh, right now, it's, we're in a period of postponement, if you will. Sin, if, if we got judged for our sin today, we would, be, we would turn into a vapor. No, I mean, no faster. It would, we would be so just gone instantly because of all the sin we allow into our life. But when we come in to know Christ, he literally forgets it. He literally throws it to the, the bottom of the ocean, east to the west. There's no more memory of it. But those who don't know Christ right now feel like, oh, well, I'm living my life right now. Nothing bad's happening. Therefore, 
I don't really, there's not a problem. There's coming a day when God will open all the accounts. Revelation talks about the books were opened. Everything that you've ever done, good or bad, the, the books will be opened and we'll be judged according to our deeds, those who don't know Christ. So, my challenge to you today, <laughs> don't wait for that day to come, come to know Christ. Come to know him today. Today is the day of salvation. So, going back to the woman, there could be no greater joy, no greater joy that woman must have felt that day when Jesus showed her mercy. Her conscience was no doubt just completely washed clean. Not only, not only that, I mean, she's, she's, she can live to see another day, but she stands innocent before an almighty God. Uh, the only thing that that woman would have been thinking about as she's about ready to get stoned is, where am I going to spend eternity? I know, I mean, obviously she knew Jewish culture. She knew that there's heaven, hell. Where am I going to spend eternity? But her conscience cleaned, innocent before God, a daughter of Abraham. So that's what kind of the woman's story. You know, show mercy. What were the Pharisees up to? Let's go back to verse 6. They were trying to trap him. <clears throat> it says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. See, what the Pharisees wanted more than anything was for Jesus to say something that they could have used against him in court. They really didn't care about the woman's fate whatsoever. She's more or less just a pawn, but they wanted Jesus dead. And unfortunately for the Pharisees, <laughs> ironically, the Pharisees, for, unfortunately for the Pharisees, the sinner left justified before God, and this elite group of, of God-fearing people left guilty before God. Christ's mercy always comes with a challenge to live dead. Always. He said to the woman, I don't condemn you either. Freedom. But then he says, go and sin no more. How many times do we want God's mercy without showing mercy to others? The word tells us, or the world tells us, to give to people what they deserve. But Matthew 6.15 says, but if you forgive, or if you refuse to forgive others, I'm going to refuse to forgive you. I'm gonna, the Father will, will not forgive your sins. So if we look back, we, refer, we referenced it earlier, we look to the mercy tree of Jesus. What do we find? That very word, Mercy. Luke 23 says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus wasn't on the cross thinking, oh, they're all innocent. Really, Father, forgive them because they're really, they're just innocent. He knew we were guilty, and yet he extends mercy. On a cross, being killed and tortured, mercy. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, living dead extends mercy and offers hope of reconciliation. Dead living would be quick to pass judgment. I delight in, in seeing others get what they deserve. Oh, you know, she had sex outside of marriage. Well, I'm glad she has a kid and has to deal with that kid now. You know, we, we, we don't say that with our words, but we live it by the way we live sometimes. See, God wants us to give mercy. Uh, back, back with JJ and Becky and that whole scenario, sure, the action was wrong. Uh, absolutely it was wrong. And should they be innocent and guilty? Uh, I'm not talking so much about a legal judgment. I'm talking more about an attitude that we have in our hearts. You know, towards our Christian brothers and sisters. Just giving, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, you know, especially when we know that you meant to hurt me or I meant to hurt you and you say, that's true and I know that, but I'm gonna overlook that. Mercy. God wants us to live mercy, merciful. The last thing I believe God wants us to live dead in, completely just dead in to this world is, is faithfulness. Stephen was consistently faithful to Christ. He was someone who lived dead. So let's go to Acts chapter 6, I believe it is. 
Third point, God calls us to, God calls us to faithfulness. 6.8 says, Acts 6.8 says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Of course, the Pharisees were upset and offended at Stephen's message of Jesus. Acts 6.11 says, so they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. And Stephen here, I mean, he's on trial, falsely on trial, and he stands his ground and he begins not, not to change his mind or become unfaithful to Christ, but he get, begins to actually step forward and begin to rebuke his listeners. Listen, what it, listen to what he says. He, he was rebuking the Sanhedrin, this, this religious leaders. He says in, in um, Acts 7, 5, 51, he tells them, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You who have, re- you who have received the law that was put into effect through the angels but have not obeyed it. See, Stephen understands the history of, of Israel. You know, they pursued God, but then they slowly compromised. All the way up to the point where they were just, they followed just the evil patterns of, of the nations. And then, of course, oppression came, and then they repented. This is the pattern of Israel. And all of that could have been avoided if they were just faithful to God. They could have avoided the compromise, the the following other nations, the oppression, the, the, the enemies. They could have avoided so much more. Maybe... Maybe they would, have, they would have had fewer mistakes if they would have just remained faithful to God. Bad things are gonna happen, but a lot of things that happened to the Israelites were a result of their sin. God allowed the enemies to come in so that it would discipline them. Not every bad thing that, that happens to us is a rebuke from God. Not everything that bad happens is, is from Satan. Sometimes we live in a fallen world. Sometimes bad things just happen but God calls us to be faithful in the midst of them. These people had the prophets. I mean, can you imagine if we lived in that day if someone could just walk in here and say, God literally just told me this audibly. This is what we need to do. They had the prophets, but they, they were tired of their constant rebuke. You know, we need to start doing this. We've got to stop doing this. We've got to start doing this. We've got to stop doing this. They were tired of it, so they actually just murdered them. Just like, we gotta just, I'm tired of it. Kill Elijah, kill Isaiah, kill all, Ezekiel, kill them all. We just, I hate them. That's, uh, that's what sin does. It makes, us, it makes us close to the truth. And the, the Sanhedrin, <laughs> oh, they even had the word of God back up. They had the prophets. They, I mean, they, they audibly heard God's voice. They even had the written word of God. They could read it and obey it or choose not to obey it but they didn't obey it. And the Sanhedrin was totally offended at these words. Acts 7.54 says, when they heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at it. I mean, imagine these self-righteous people all decked out in all their wardrobe. They put on their prayer covering. I mean, these guys thought they knew God. And when Stephen said, you know, you don't know. You're just hypocrites. You don't have a clue who God is. It says that they gnashed their teeth at him. You know, instead of accepting the truth, instead of hearing it, they chose to act as wolves do face to face with a deer. They just started just getting angry, started gnashing their teeth at Stephen. Scripture tells us Stephen told his listeners that he actually began to, to see heaven open. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And yet still, verse 57, it says, at this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, ah, la, 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 can't hear you. Yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. You might be a Pharisee. If, if you read the word, you know what it says, but you choose not to do it. You might be a Pharisee if the Holy Spirit, some of us have have. Some of us are Christians, 
and, and, and as, we're, as we're developing our relationship, we're becoming more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You might be a Pharisee as if you're getting a prompting in your spirit, but you choose not, not to act in whatever he's telling you to do, whether it's to go pray for someone, whether it's to go and, and uh, give a word of, of knowledge, word of, to be used in the spirit. You might be a Pharisee if, if what we do is we get some sort of direction from God, from the word, from, from, from the Holy Spirit, through prayer, whatever, even from each other, and it's true, but what we do is we cover our ears. I don't wanna hear that right now. You know, I'll stop living with my boyfriend later. Because right now, you know, I mean, we, we don't have jobs. And, you know, we're on, you know, we're, we got this going on, we got, and we have a kid, so I just, you know, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I'll, I'll do it later. You know, I'll, I'll stop dishonoring my parents when they start giving me some respect around here. You know, or I'll start honoring my kids when they start respecting me. I'll be faithful to God again once, you know, once, once I get a job, once he gets me that job that I want or that car that I want. That's when I'll turn back to God. Verse 59 says, as they stoned Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. See, they killed the prophets, they killed Jesus, and they killed Stephen. The common denominator in all of their lives is they were all faithful to God. Faithfulness often comes with a great responsibility and great struggles and great, it's, it's not easy to be faithful. It's so easy to just, oh, my marriage isn't working out. I better go get a new, get a new one, get a new husband, new, new wife. This is just really not working out. This, you know, this, you know, uh, this iPhone doesn't work anymore, so I'll just go and buy a new phone because, you know, you don't have to have the contract anymore. You can just pay month to month. I'm not saying that. I guess what I'm trying to say is that in a world where there is no commitments to anything, unfaithfulness is normal. But that's the one thing Jesus said, that's not happening. It's either you're all in or you're all out. There's no middle ground with me. Thankfully that he's patient and he wants us to come to know him. So I'm gonna ask you this morning, are you, are you faithful are you confident that you have been faithful to God? Are you faithful to God right now at this moment? Since I've been here, um, Pastor Tom has shared messages and I sit in the pew, I'm just being vulnerable with you, and there are things that I hold onto that I do not wanna let go of. Uh, you know, I, I wanna stay in control of my life. I, don't, I wanna be able to watch the movies I wanna watch. I want to be able to play the games I play. I want to be able to say what I want to say. I want to be able to get, speak my mind. But God says, no, that's not what's going to happen. Are you going to be all in? Are you going to be faithful to me? Or are you going to be half-hearted? See, God, God isn't looking for people that are just, so, uh, that are righteous in, in our own eyes. God wants, wants to see people that know that we're not righteous but the only way we can come be, become righteous is with him inside of us. You know, as time goes on, you know, we can come to know Christ and it, we can start off good. I, I you know, I, I talk to so many people, you know, you see them weeping at the altar, their hands raised, and Satan always tries to come alongside of that person or whoever and say, that wasn't real, that was all emotionalism. Sometimes it, it would be, but a lot of times God is revealing himself to that person. And, and we get jacked up and we get excited and we come home, you know, whether it's from camp, whether it's from sort of, some sort of like convention, you know, hear a, an amazing speaker like John Bevere or Andy Stanley. Here's some fantastic speaker and you come home and, you know, you realize, well, this isn't the convention anymore. This is Monday morning at work. I don't. There, I do not feel God right now at all. You know, and as time goes on, we just compromise. We let we let things back into our life. Well, did John Bevere really mean when he said this? 
I mean, he was, he was using a little bit older translation or a little bit new translation, so I don't know if that, you know, we begin to compromise, we begin to reason uh, with this world. And before you know it, we're right back into where, we're, we're right back into that pattern that Israel found themselves in. God doesn't want any to perish, none. He, he wants us all to be his sons and daughters. But the beauty of his love is he doesn't, he doesn't sit there with a gun and force you. He wants us to live dead. He wants us to grow in him. What would have happened if the Pharisees humbled themselves before God? We're talking about becoming humble and merciful and, and, and becoming faithful. What if they would have humbled themselves? What if they would have shown mercy instead of, instead of just that attitude of, oh, I can't wait to see this person get what they deserve? You know, what if they were faithful to God? from the time all the way back in exile to Jesus' day. We only know of one Pharisee that did. And he was, ironically, he was probably at the stoning of Stephen. In fact, Scripture tells us that he was. Maybe even smiling as he gave approval to Stephen's death. And this Pharisee said, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous and that I harshly per- persecuted the, the Christian church. And as for, righteous, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He was born a Jew, he obeyed the rituals, zealous for God of Israel, read the Bible, and was found blameless. He continues, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. What would have happened if the Pharisees would have humbled themselves? Well, Paul did. And he asked God for mercy. And he realized that his achievements and all, that, all the status that he had was just without Christ, it was worthless. I mean, he was the best. He, you know, if you, could, if you could earn heaven, he would have been the man. Matthew 10.39 says, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. The only way we can have life is when we die to this world and we grow up and become like Jesus. That's the only way we really have life. A lot of us try to just cut that statement in half. We just try to cut sin out of our life. Come to church, raise our hands, go to prayer meetings, but we don't like to grow up in Christ. We like to know Christ as an infant. We like him to stick the bottle in our mouth. We like him to feed us. We like him to deal with us. We like him to come to us. We don't like to pursue him. We don't want to have to serve him. We don't want to have to prepare his food. We don't want to have to, we don't want to be inconvenienced a lot of times. God calls us to live dead. The only way we stay dead in in our sins is by not trusting Christ. The only way we can have life is when we die to this world and grow up in a relationship with Jesus. So ultimately, unfaithfulness to God, unfaithfulness to God, the way he sees it, is living dead. Or is, is, is dead living, excuse me. Faithfulness to God is living dead. God calls us to live dead. He wants us to die to this world and grow up in him. The last thing I'll say, Paul says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Living dead is becoming more dead to sin and more alive to Christ. Dead living is trying to look righteous without Christ. So in closing, I just want you to close your eyes with me. I, I, I want to challenge you guys uh, 
just to get vulnerable with Jesus. Just, just begin to ask him, Jesus, in which ways am I not living dead right now? What am I still holding on to? I, I realize there's a million things we could talk about. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience. Kind of, but we're talking, this morning we're talking about humility, mercy, and faithfulness. And I don't, I don't know why I, God put those things on my heart to, to start preparing for, but I would venture to say that God is dealing with someone in this room right now. Uh, he, he's already dealt with me this morning. He asked, he said, John, he goes, on a scale from zero to 10, where do you rate with humility, with mercy, with faithfulness? And a couple of times I gave myself a little bit higher grade than I thought. He says, oh, let's be real, let's, let's be honest. 10 being Jesus, zero being Satan. Where do you fall? First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to be sinning to be away from God. We just ha- have to not have Christ in our lives to be away from God. The Pharisees, they were just dead, dead people living. God calls us to be living dead. So Jesus, right now, I pray that you begin to look inside of our hearts. Lord, as you've already done in my heart. Lord, I pray that we don't just look around the room and say, I have a better attendance at church than that person. Or, or I give more money regularly. Or I spend more time in prayer. Or I read more of the Bible. God, help it to not be about what we can accomplish. God, we know Paul surpasses us all. And yet he still said, I just count it as nothing. Jesus, Jesus, he is the one who qualifies us. So Lord, please God, I pray that you begin to pull out that Pharisee mindset of, uh, of, of needing to rise to the top. Of, of That's how we, how we earn salvation, God. Help us to realize, just convince our hearts, Lord, that it's you, Jesus. It's you, you're the one who, who makes us right. You're the only one who can take any work we do today and make it pleasing to you. So God, I just pray that you forgive us of, of the sin, Lord, that we allow into our life. Help us, help us to uh, turn back to you, Lord, and, and not, be, not be okay with a curve, but Lord, a straight road to you, God. We love you, God. Challenge our hearts, go with us, Lord. Make us small so that you can become great. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Uh, Thanks for being here this morning.